<laughs> so, totally what's our topic today? Yeah, exactly. You're, this is podcast number 18. 18. And we're going to talk about sex and the church. And you're hiding because you don't want anybody to be able to identify you. And except you already used your voice, so it's too late. They already know that you're... Oh, yeah. You're, you're, and how how this affects us and how it works within the, you know, kind of so the let's, emotional So let's systems. get the preposition correct as we start. So the people who are watching this don't have the wrong idea. Are we talking about sex inside the church? Sex and the church sex under the church outside the church there's a preposition that we're talking about what are we talking about yes mike and mike that's us yes that's us gripping reality either one of us is anonymous <laughs> that's right <laughs> so just make sure if you got complaints you do mike with a y that's all yeah whatever uh, <laughs> uh I, I guess so. Sex, what, and church? Sex. Well, I think sex and how the church deals with sexual types of issues. And why are we picking on the church? Why don't we pick on Rotary? Uh, because uh, lose no. pounds sensibly. Mothers losing pounds sensibly. Why don't we? Yeah, why yeah, the church? Yeah. Well, because the church is has been for you know, a long time. It's the institution that has held up of what is good and what is right. Uh, and I think that its impact from you and I would say from as pastors, former pastor Christians ourselves is the issue of how the church actually helps people come to a biblical understanding in their lives of dealing with those kinds of issues of which we would say are sin issues, things that are wrong. Uh, but it's the practice. What makes them the, wrong? Because the church says uh, so? That's a good question. Why do you say that? I, I'm asking a question that? here. I'm not giving any answers. <laughs> I know. I'm standing I, on the sideline. I'm oh, over on safety. You know, that's the problem. That's exactly what the church does right there. <laughs> okay, so now I'm so now I'm an illustration. All right. Yeah, again. you are an illustration. You would do exactly, you know, it's the story of the good Samaritan. So let's refine what the issue is before we okay. plunge into uh trying to deal with the question. When you say yeah. sex sexuality or sexual issues and church policy or church experience, church um uh, church polity. What what is it that we're actually dealing with? Where's the failure when you when you think of something sexually as a failure? What does that mean? Um, I mean, we've had a lot of conversation around these types of issues as well as sex, but in the concept, the context of how the church responds to difficult things and difficult life issues at that level. Um, I think you could take the same, have the same type of, of observation and argument for mental health issues within the church as the church. And I think it's, 
you know, I'm, I'm going to say from my experience, uh, I'm going to talk, I mean, I'm talking more out of the sense of the evangelical type churches that are out there. And to be blunt about it, a lot of people don't understand those churches because they are on the outside and they don't, you know, they, all they get is, is sound bites and which are never positive. And just so you know, we're not going to try and explain what the evangelical church no, is we are in not. this podcast. No. We're no, going to save that for that. podcast probably 350. So stay exactly. tuned, but it's coming. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no joke. <laughs> so, so keep going. Think, we're on 18, so we got a long way to go. I know. So I think the dynamic of, of knowing how and what and the response to uh, difficult issues in the church. Uh, I mean, Make the same. Difficult. How are they a difficult issue? Well, let me give you an example that maybe clarify just a little bit. Okay, is an example that, is going to get us up on the table, but then we have to shuffle the stuff around to figure out what we're talking yeah, about. I, I, Go I for it. Give so, me the illustration. Well, let, let's 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 look at how the church, uh, the evangelical church. I'm going to use this that term dealt with the issue of divorce back in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. Catholic Church did it too. So did, right. I mean, everybody did. Right. But so, there give, was a so what's the illustration? What's, what's the transition? What the about? transition was, is that if you were someone who was, excuse me, involved in divorce, got divorced, it was go away. We, we don't know what to do with that. You were treated as second-class citizens in the church. Um, and then that slowly changed and they developed, they developed ways of helping and trying to work through blended families and help people through, you know, the brokenness of divorce and all those kinds of things. So now today in most churches, uh, evangelical churches, there's a lot of times there's a whole system that's put in place to help People navigate all of the woundedness and those kinds of things that have happened. Um, I think that for some reason. So what, how does that relate to the issue of sexuality and the church? What What's the issue at stake there? The, let me let me hear. Let me re put into words what I hear. You're trying to fish around in the pond to catch something. The the people. <laughs> The people who comprise kind of the moral standard of the church, be that the originators or the bishops or the elders or the pastors or somebody establishes <clears throat> what is a standard to which right. others are going to be held. Right. When someone violates that standard, the question then is, what happens from the point of view of the organization and its members? What happens with regard to the person who violated the standard? And right. so when we're talking about the issue of sexuality in the area of marriage and divorce, there was some kind of a standard that a person may be able to find a Bible verse or a biblical foundation for that says our church or our system says marriage between two people is the standard is until death parts the couple. Nothing mm -hmm. else is adequate to end a marriage. So mm -hmm. when a marriage dissolves, 
because one person is divorced or both people divorced or they have sex outside of marriage or they choose other partners or whatever it happens to be, anything less than death violates the standard. So the question then is when someone has not lived up, we haven't determined if the standard itself is right. All we know, all we're saying is that the organization holds a standard. And sometimes that is a dispassionate standard. And sometimes it's a passionate standard. There's a lot of emotional energy that goes into it. So when someone violates the standard, breaks the rules, what happens? And I think you're transferring that concept over to mental health issues. We have a standard of mental health and not only what is correct mental health, but what are you allowed to talk about and reveal within the organization? So when someone violates the standard, what does the organization do? And what does the person who violated the standard? We're not saying if the standard is right or wrong. What we're saying is there's a standard and in evangelical churches, there is one kind of standard varying from church to church, organization to organization, even local uh, body from local body. And sometimes even within the history of that local body from one age to the next, who the pastor is right now, how right. the membership is right. actually comprised. So there's all kinds of variables. It's not a monolith. It's actually right. something that's got a lot of variety to it. So the issue is the organization has a standard and someone violates that standard. What does it do to the church? What does it do to the individual who violated it? And what do you do with it? Those are our two key questions. We're exactly. asking them exactly. about sexuality in the church. Is hmm. that correct? Is that no? Yeah, you, no, that's, no. You are. You're. You're. That's. That's good. Thank you, because I think that that's that's the 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 response to the standard is I think where we have significant issues in the church, and you and I would both, I believe, agree. There is a standard. We understand that. We get that. We're not going to label that standard. But it's the response of the church to when that standard gets violated, what is it that you're doing with it? And that's the part I think that you and I have had, uh, you know, we've had a lot of discussion about what we see happening. I, I think that it's I think where a lot of this conversation for you and I, and this is, you know, I don't know how long we're going to go today on this one. I mean, we won't go longer our normal times, but I, I really think where our conversations have kind of uh, migrated from in dealing with some of that type of issue is the, where we've been as a country in the last uh, almost a year now. Well, it's been a year since COVID hit, and and all of the dynamics of the emotions that have come out of that, and what the evangelical church, where the evangelical church seems to be ending up, and seems to be going. Um, and Are I, and we I have, diverting from the issue that's actually on the table? No, 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 no not at all. Okay. I, I think I think that I'm trying to explain where I think this conversation has come from. 
because we have seen so much dynamic that's that's raised to the, has been raised to the surface because of the emotional intensity that's happened because of COVID. That it seems to me that the churches have been responding, uh, from what I see, in uh, what I would say is probably not a very positive way. In I see lots of anger. I see lots of fear, and that has translated in back. I'm going to come back around here. Has translated into some of these other major issues in the church with the standard about sexual issues, those kinds of things. So that emotion is already on the table. It's already intensely. We talk about right, but we've so always we've said all along that anger is not automatically a bad thing. Neither no, is I agree fear. With that. So the fact that the church according to the standard, has responded with some fairly intense anger or some fairly intense fear is not automatically the wrong thing to do. We're just recognizing there's intense emotion that circulates around some of these issues. And even with the, the restrictions that have happened because of COVID, the change in our format uh, has really been significant Still, we're saying the emotion itself, the event itself, we can't determine whether it's positive or negative. It just is. The, The questions that come out of that is, what does it do to me? The fact that my church has been on COVID restrictions since March of last year with variations that were allowed, we attempt certain things, that changes, the standards are different, people come in with all kinds of expectations Uh, And some with no expectations, not really understanding what's going on. And then the response to that can be very intense. Right. But we still haven't determined if that's the right thing to do or the wrong thing to do. We're coming back to how does this affect me? What does it do to me? And what do I do with it? So let's stay tight on the topic here and not get into the weeds. No, but I'm trying to bring that into context of where we are socially right now and why we're talking about this because of so much. So of why are we talking about this? Because a, I'm tired of segue I, into your next point. I'm trying to follow the direction of our producer here. Which happens to be me. But go ahead. Stop laughing. You're on. Because I'm sick and tired of talking about everything else in the world. So I thought, let's talk about something different, you know, (laughs) but in reality of how it actually is affecting us. And, and because, because of what's going on, we have, I think we have a significant rise in both of those issues that are facing the church. And the question is, what is the church doing with that? And my presumption and my, my observation is the church is not doing well with that because they don't know what to do with it. So what normally happens in organizations like that, in your experience, when they don't know what to do with it, but they're supposed to know all the answers. All right, so so I'm gonna put two uh, issues side by side and see if this helps us in our discussion. The main thing we're talking about is sexuality issues in the church. So. If a person uh, expresses in themselves for whatever reason that they are gay and they want to have a same-sex partner that they identify with in the church, they, they, what happens in private, that's not the issue. It's coming to church, 
two males together, two females together, what it happens to be, or an unmarried couple, or an interracial couple, or a an age difference, right. you know, couple. a very right. much older man with a very much younger woman, or a very much older woman with a very much younger man, right. um, or or any of those kinds of of life situations that rub against or violate somehow the standards that the church holds and expresses. So there's that issue. But now in COVID here in New York, we still have a mask mandate. As right. of this recording, there are some states that are completely lifting the mask mandate. And I did some traveling in the last few months. And in some states, people, I would say 10% of people are wearing masks and 90% are not. Where I live, 95, 98% wear masks, maybe even higher than 98%. You see persons walking to a store or restaurant, they're fishing in their pocket, they pull a mask out, they put it on, they walk through the threshold of the door. As soon as they walk out, they take it off. But the mandate is when you're inside a facility, you wear a right. mask. So in the church, a person walks in and doesn't have a mask on. It violates yep. the standard. Right. You're not doing what we demand that you do. And now the risk is I might get COVID and die because you came into my environment not wearing a mask. So the right. issue now is not just, you know, you look better when I can't see your nose and mouth. The issue is you are going to kill me or my children if you don't have a mask on. Now, jump from that attitude to the sexuality issue. You're gay. You're going to kill my family and my children if I let that rub off. You're divorced. That's going to introduce this horrible experience in my church that's going to destroy every family because you were here and we accepted. You're a young woman who had a child out of wedlock. There's no husband. You went through with the, the pregnancy. You now have a child. That's going to violate our standard. And my reaction is the same as with the mask. You're going to kill people here. So it's really, it's not just benign. Uh, I disagree with your lifestyle. Right. No. It's really staking huge, huge outcomes on that. Right. So now with the mask deal, we have an instantaneous and visible point at which persons within the organization can immediately judge or determine something right. about another person. Right. And exactly. issues with sexuality, a mom walks in and she has a child and the church immediately says, so where's your husband? Right. And she says, I don't have a husband. Oh, you're divorced. No. I never had a husband. Oh, you had a child that you adopted. No. <laughs> and now, I mean, the church runs those filtering questions. 
And the challenge then is how do we how do we even talk about that? And where do we go with that conversation? So when we're talking about this, it's that kind of issue that's up on the table. Right. Is that right? Exactly. This is really yep. this is really difficult for some people. And they may actually have already turned this podcast off because they said these guys are heretics. They're they're gonna destroy everything. What we want to do is talk about the intensity of an issue on these two questions. What does right. it do to me? And what do I do with it? Right. Right. And I can tell you from personal experience that that scenario of which you just talked about is a fascinating one that I never even thought about would be a dynamic in my life. But when, I mean, when Rainey passed away, my wife in 04, uh, excuse me, in seven, um, seven, uh, September 4th, seven, um, when she passed away, I never entertained that that was that sequence of, of, if you will, diagnostic questions of where you are. And it's connected in the evangelical world. It's connected to spirituality of if you have this, this, and this, and this, then you're a different place. I mean, it, that, that's how it plays out. Okay. So I've gone to when I, when I, you know, when I'm introduced into someone new or a group or whatever, I have an individual, I have somebody in my home that doesn't know me, you know, for dinner or something. Uh, I've found myself that within a very short amount of time as I'm, you know, introducing myself and giving my story, I make it really clear that I'm widowed, that I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm a widower. Because when you don't, there is all of this uneasy kind of thing of wanting to go down that road of those diagnostic questions. Okay. I, I see all five of your kids on this big mural with, you know, with their couple of, you know, uh, right. Uh, in, you know, and so the, un, yeah. the unasked question is, yeah. so what happened to your wife right. or the mother of your children? Children. You right. know, did she go off with someone else? Did, did you she run away? Her? Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. is she in an institution because you didn't want to put up with her disease? And now, how do you ask, ask those questions? Because in the standard of the church, the sexuality of an unaccompanied male or an unaccompanied female is going to be a violation somehow. Right. Of the standards that the church right. and its members hold. Oh, you don't have a wife, but you have kids. Right. Hmm. Now we have an issue. That's right. very interesting. That's a, that's yeah. a and that that constantly is constantly. Even though I'm, you know, seen as an older gentleman, there's a there's an interesting word for you. But it's yeah. Where's your wife? Well, you know, uh, she's so gone. in she's the circles yeah. in the circles in which you move in the liberal, crazy live for today because the world is going to fall into the Pacific Ocean world of the West Coast. Did you ever wear a wedding ring? Uh, I, I changed it to the other other finger. I wore it on my 
I wore it on my right hand. Why? But I did when I was married. I always had a wedding ring. Okay. And now you don't wear a wedding ring. I don't wear, you know, I usually don't. Yeah. I don't wear one. Ooh. Where's the so, bump, bump, bump music? Yeah, really. So, so there yeah, are some people who are widow, widowed or widowers who still, still have their wedding ring on. Right. And, on yeah. and that becomes a kind of silent, symbolic testimony. Right of my sexuality right. that meets the standard. Are and there people who notice that you're not wearing a wedding ring? Oh, heck yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. But I'm also the, you know, you're right. That's one of the reasons why I don't wear it on this hand because I'm not going to lie. I mean, I don't, my wife's not here. So why would I wear a wedding band? you know, that indicates I'm married and when physically she's not here. That's, I'm not going to do that. Because it was till death do us part and she has exactly. parted. And okay. she has parted. She's dead. Yeah. So it's fascinating. So because, that's very interesting. And this is another co topic that we probably should pick up as a thread later on is that the very thing you're, you're talking. Your experience talking has been. That's curiosity on the part of the church more than condemnation. They're oh, no. curious about, yeah. you have five kids, your wife died. Oh, too bad. So sad. I feel for you. I'm so sorry that happened. You get that. As opposed to the woman who walks in with three kids and she never had a husband and she's got these three children with her, whether they're adult children or young children, <laughs> it is not the same benign curiosity that you don't fit the standard, but it's benign or sort of. And well, she doesn't <laughs> fit the standard, but it is by no means benign. Yeah, well, that's sort of true. Okay, so it's not necessarily true? No, because I was going to say, this is another thread we should follow in another discussion. We should. And because we should, maybe. We might. We might. We will. Let's change it to we will. We will. We will. We will. We don't use need, should, ought, or must, folks. Just so you know, <laughs> need, should, ought, and must are forbidden words in our podcast, and I personally do not use them. I cannot speak for my counterpart, who sometimes slips up, and on occasion, I won't say he always uses those words, or... That I never use those words because always, ever, and never, those are also words that are forbidden in our podcast. And there's different reasons for that. But nonetheless, need should not mind. So we should follow up on that. We could. We might. No. We will. We say we will. We That's will. very different. But go back to what you were saying. I forgot what you Thank were talking you. about. Thank I mean, you. No. That, that whole... Uh, that you're, you're tainted goods because you're not whole, because you're not married. Tainted? Yeah. Damn Just it. like, yeah, tainted, damaged, whatever you want to call it. So. Because you don't meet the standard. We want husbands exactly. and wives together. Exactly. And, and once you're a certain age, it really should be double digit. And, and if somebody says, so, how, how long have you been married? And you say, 13 years and here's my 15 year old son yeah. Yeah, exactly. calculation immediately so i've been married 22 years 
your son looks older than 22 years. Ooh. So that kind yeah. of. Oh, yeah. It's that too, right? Well, and so this, so your this also son is six months older than your wedding. Okay. okay. I mean, it comes to that. We're talking about that issue. Exactly. Right? Exactly. And, but the thread we will follow up on is this issue that that's a problem because of the singleness. So let's drop the fact that this mom walks in with three kids. Let's just talk about singleness period in the church is not accepted in once you get to a certain threshold. A certain age, right. Now the question is, is an 18 year old not married in the same category as a 24 year old not married same as a 29-year-old not married, same as a 30-year-old. So as we start advancing, now there are sexuality in the church questions that arise. You're 32 and you've never been married? Hmm. Okay, so we're talking about that standard is includes that issue as well. Exactly. But that's probably... any answers at all. All we're doing is raising more problems. (laughs) Well... That's all we do. This is your podcast. Remember, (laughs) I'm not actually in this conversation. Just so you know, folks, just so you know, this is his idea. You're the producer. You don't get to do this. You don't get to throw me under the bus like that. Okay. All right. Well, let's keep going. We got to come up with something valuable. Otherwise, people are going to turn this off. Oh, that's really true. If you have a question, by the way, Write an email to Mike at Gripping Reality, spell it with an I or a Y, Mike at with a Y, Mike with an I, and send us issues and questions and rebuttal and uh, join the conversation. We really like that. But anyway, keep going. Well, <laughs> so uh, we, we come back to, the, I mean, sorry, we will come back to this issue of what the church, how the church responds when the standard is violated. Because okay. that's really what we're talking about, uh, and my my contention is that the the some of the the problem, and I think where we get the intensity, not that it's necessarily bad or good, but I think it can be very damaging if 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 we're not careful emotionally, is that the church doesn't know what to do with significant issues. Sexually, sexual issues that are so charged in the church right now, the church doesn't know what to do with. With well, I'm going to disagree with that because a lot of churches know what to do with it, condemn it. Drive well, it out, drive it yeah, out the door. Okay. You're right. The, the, drive the it away. Is, Keep it away. This from is us. totally yes. wrong. It violates God's standard. Right. We are champions of God's standard. You're not welcome here. Right. Which is why one of the reasons why so many people who. I have no way of sociology, sociologically, you would know back in the 30s, what percentage of the American population had sexuality issues that violated the standard of the church. Now, we can't say it was really low, but it was really hidden. So let's just guess it was 50 percent. Yeah. Uh, that people had extramarital affairs. I mean, obviously, children were born. There were prostitutes around the world. Right. There always have been. Uh, there have been gay people. And so on and on and on. All those issues are always there. So let's right. say 50%. Now it's probably 90%. Right. 
that have experimented, have had uh, unmarried sexual relationships, sequential people, monogamous relationships, on and on and on. But it's probably 90%, 95%. I mean, we have no way of knowing. I don't have any way of knowing. But it's significantly greater. And so the contention of those who are not churched people, they're either believers who don't go to church anymore, or they are unbelievers who don't go to church because both categories are there's churched versions of both of those two. There exactly. are believers who go to church and there are unbelievers who go to church. Right. But there, but we're talking about the unchurched, the unchurched population looks at the church. And even if that person themselves is not gay, did not get divorced, is not, um, uh, having multiple sexual partners, on and on and they they are monogamous within a relationship. They're married. They look at the church, and they say that process of setting standards, holding others to it, and condemning them is a, something I don't want to be a part of. Right. And so the church that's inside says, "Hey, what's the problem? We're just standing for God's." standards here and and you don't want to be any part of it and the unchurched person says you're right i don't want to be any part of that that the church now is what do we do with it do we relax the standards or do we change the standards Do we drop the standards or do we not hold people accountable to the standards anymore that i mean within the church and outside the church, those two issues generate a great deal of tension. In families where the mom and dad or the grandparents still go to church and the kids or the in-law, the son-in-law, daughter-in-law, the grandchildren, cousins, whoever, don't want to go to church, that can create significant tension that can even be destructive in families mm-hmm. or it could be benign. You don't go to church. That's I'm mean, no big deal to me. So, so now we're, we're looking at that issue regarding sexuality issues in the church. Or I would say there's also another one that would be my preference. If the standard is right and good and you believe it is, then my job and responsibility is to figure out a way to be able to have that kind of relationship with an individual to help them understand the whys, understand the standard itself, the outcomes, the consequences, all of those things without condemnation, without being, you know, rolling the, you know, I call rolling up the newspaper and whapping them on the nose, without doing man shaming, without, but that takes what? That takes significant amount of time, energy, and effort that can't just be broadcast on social media, can't be stood up in the pulpit and yelled at uh, on a Sunday morning. Uh, that takes an attitude that is one of grace, which people go, well, you know, you're talking about grace. That's so wimpy. It's like, you don't understand grace if, that, if that's what you think. I mean, you and I were having this discussion earlier as you're preaching through, you know, the five series of 
what grace looks like in in the stories, you know, in, in some of the stories in the Gospels. Yeah, and I think that that I I mean I think the one you were talking about with the woman who was caught in the very act of adultery and how Jesus responded to that in as you labeled imaginary imagine what well, imagination grace is that what you called it imaginative imaginative grace. grace yeah well explain that a little bit i i want people to hear what that sounds like well the the anecdote that mike's referring to that i'm speaking about is in john chapter 8 and it's a disputed text. We're going to recognize that right up front. Oh, there are manuscripts. We're not going to get into the biblical manuscript evidence and all that. I don't care about that. The reality is it's an authentic uh, event that right. reflects the character of Jesus as he interacted with people. Some Pharisees find a woman in the act of adultery. That means she was nude and she was with a man somewhere. So they either had a... Uh, a spy or a cohort or somebody that that revealed that this woman was having sex outside of marriage in an adulterous situation, grabbed the woman, brought her to Jesus, and they correctly refer to the law of Moses when they say Moses commanded that we stone to death a woman like this. There was that that statement is in the Levitical code. You can go back and find it. And what do you say? It really had the topic of sexuality, but it was really a means to catch Jesus in a social situation that would embarrass him and reduce his influence among the general population. That's what was really going on. They were using a woman caught in adultery to, to bring the issue up. Jesus can't obey the law, and treat this woman with Jesus' grace at the same time. It's not possible. So as she's standing there and a crowd is gathered around, everyone's staring, where does she go? I mean, she has no clothes. She didn't grab the curtains or a bed sheet when she was hauled out of wherever she was. She's standing there in the middle of the circle with a bunch of men standing around, laughing, guffawing, pointing, whatever they were doing to her. Jesus has an imaginative grace. How in the world can he get out of this situation uh, and preserve his core values and not violate the standards of the organization to which he belongs? That's really tough. So what he does is he kneels down and starts writing with his finger in the dirt. You have to realize how utterly disgusting that was to do. His hands are considered clean, but the animals, the feet, the the night pots, the filth of human excrement, the urine is all throughout the street. It's everywhere in that culture. This is not potting soil. This is filthy, filthy street dirt. So Jesus, without saying a word, kneels down and starts writing in the ground. Now, everybody who has studied this passage says, what was he writing? What were the words? Was he identifying the sins of those who were, was he point? He, I don't, I think he was probably doing tic-tac-toe because as soon as he starts writing on the ground, 
everyone in the group is looking at his hand and no one is looking at the woman anymore. So he didn't have a sheet and he didn't have a curtain and he didn't have a bathrobe, but he had imaginative distraction and he turned the eyes of people away from the woman to something benign. He doesn't say your standard is wrong. I'm not going to deal with that. He doesn't say the woman deserves to be stoned to death or driven out. I'm just going to change the way we're talking about this. So he writes on the ground. Then he stands up and he looks at the men. He says, any one of you that doesn't have any sin in his life, you throw the first stone. Now, it's it's amazing because the law talks about that. When a person is found guilty, the eyewitness is the one who throws the first stone. stone. That's right. So when Jesus stands up and says, you who have no sin, you throw the first stone, he's misquoting the scripture. But it's a point taken, and they got it. In that moment, there is not one of them that could pick up a stone because they would be saying, I am without sin. Jesus changed the conversation. That's also part of his imaginative grace that goes, that changes the way they were thinking about the issue. So then he knelt back down. He continued writing, probably doing a second tic-tac-toe or doing hangman or, you know, who knows what. Um, Writing the phone numbers of his disciples so he wouldn't forget. I mean, I have no (laughs) idea what he's doing. So because he could predict the future when they had cell phones, he would be able to he knew what their numbers would be if you were they doing, all right, You were so doing anyway. so well. You were doing so uh, well. So he writes again on the ground. Theologically, pick that apart. So he writes again on the ground, which is further distraction. And while he's doing that, he's not looking these guys in the eye, but they start walking away. And Jesus doesn't jump up and say, ha ha, gotcha. That you have no guts. He doesn't do that. He lets them walk away right. and save some face. When they're all gone, he stands up and looks at the woman in her eyes, not down here, in her eyes, and says, did anyone stay to condemn you? Now, that changes the entire nature of how standards on sexuality work. Right. Did they stay to condemn you? She says, no, sir, no one did. And Jesus, out of Jesus' own mouth, he says, then I won't condemn you either. What? Just because nobody else condemns? He's the only one that has the right to condemn. He's the one that didn't have any sin in his life. He could have thrown the first stone and walked away saying, hey, you know, you just got to clean up the world or it's going to come in and destroy your church. Jesus wouldn't do that. He changed the conversation. Exactly. So when we look at the issue of standards, the, is it right for the church to have standards? Sure. I don't have a problem with that. What happens when somebody comes in that violates those standards? What Jesus did is he changed the conversation. Right. right. And he used imaginative grace Because the value of that one person was higher than adhering to the standard. That is an incredibly 
challenging issue on exactly. all of these other matters that right. we're talking about. Right. And, and what's fascinating about that, and I love that story, um, I mean, in, in, from many standpoints, but it's interesting also in that story, you know, it says what the oldest to the youngest, they left basically right. in that order, which if we are applying that in the dynamic of what we're talking about in the church, what does that, I mean, how does that, what does that tell you? Um, of what happens so many times where they're not changing the conversation they're you know they're they're wanting to hammer them wanting to to make it you know so one of the things that that i know you i mean you know this but uh, that i work with a lot um because i'm working on i'm actually back in school working on my master's in sexual addiction um I work a lot with a lot of young men and the issue of pornography and to be blunt about it, masturbation, um, that those issues are things in the church that it's one of those things is that we don't talk about that. We don't, we drive it deep because it's one of those things that I think, A, we don't know what to do with, but we want to try and say it doesn't really, it's not that bad of a thing. You know, you say sociologically what was going on from from the 30s on the way up. Well, there was a different, there was a totally different uh, cultural, if you will, normative that was going on before the 50s until the 60s hit us. And so there was less. It was probably hidden more. And I'd have to go back and look at, you know, some of the research. But when you talk about issues like pornography and the church wants to act like it's not that big of a deal, um, because I think they don't know what to do with it. It's the same thing. They don't know how to change the conversation to be able to get to the root issues of what's going on. Um, some of the research that I've looked at that, that has come through in the last year, and this is, so this is, and these are, these are, uh, you know, these are the reputable people out there that are doing this work. That that pornography within the the framework of Gen Z and which is the current generation coming through and the millennials, as they have as they have tried to within the United States and Canada, have been tracking this for a number of years doing research. Five years ago, I mean, we're talking five years ago, came a point, became a point within uh, within the research that they could not, they could not develop uh, a, uh, a control group because everyone literally, and that was, that's a true statement everyone had seen some type of pornography. This was within young men, within that age group. So they could not establish a control group that didn't have that kind of influence. So they had to change how they did their research to figure out what was, what's been going on, which. Well, and one of the, one of the real issues is that what was considered pornography in the 1930s is now considered normal advertising. Exactly. 
Exactly. I mean, the, the, the kind of sexual flaunting that com- becomes attractive to catch your attention right. and sell a product right. has really, really altered uh, right. in, in, in the last 50 or 75, 80 years. And the point being is that that is one of those issues that is out there the church doesn't want to address, doesn't see it, and doesn't know what to do with it when it's then again, well, what do we do with this? How can we change the conversation so we can actually help people instead of saying, don't do that. That's bad. Okay. All right. Um, so so we're on this track, and we may need to do a sequential uh, podcast that's going to follow up. But let's wrap up for right yeah, now. Yeah, let's do. Let's do. What, what it is that is the not necessarily a solution, what is an avenue? What's a next step that that takes this issue from, okay, so what, to the next level? I would say- Otherwise, we have a podcast that just yaps about stuff and then right, right. you're all done and say, okay, I didn't get anything out of that. Right. No, I, I would say that it, you know, instead of saying, so what, is, it, is that process of beginning to- to realize these are real people. These are people who have real issues as well as you have real issues, I have real issues. And treating them, if, if we don't change the conversation at some level, we're not talking and worried about the standard, but if you don't change that conversation to be able to enter into a conversation about the standard and why the standard and you know, where the standard came from and all those things, but to have real conversation with them, that's the key to me. Because until we get concerned enough to realize this is not going away. In fact, this is expediting. If you haven't paid much attention, it is it is expediting and is is moving faster and faster within our culture. And we're getting people are, you know, people are up in arms, at least in my world up here in the wonderful Pacific Northwest. You have all kinds of people all over the map, you know, from a political standpoint and a moral standpoint and so on and so on. But a lot of, you know, the, the people in, in the evangelical church are running for literally, I mean, they, they are afraid because, you know, all this stuff is going on. Legislation is happening. Look what they're doing in our schools and so on and so on. I'm going, then running away isn't going to help it is not right. going to help fix it but getting involved and in changing the conversation because you can't have you're not, you're not going to help make a difference here unless you figure out a way to not be fearful in the in a in a in a, a responsive negative standpoint be angry in a responsive negative standpoint uh, you know, it's because it's what it's doing to you, and your response is is one that is, it's it's not benign. It's you know, it's very much aggressive, right? Uh, on either of those levels, and I'm not talking about flowers and puppy dogs, and we all hold hands and sing kumbaya in the you know Christian world, and it's great. Hopefully, so nobody them. watching this knows what sing kumbaya, <laughs> kumbaya. means. <laughs> Uh, we all hold hands and we sing, I, I want to teach the world to sing. Okay. Oh, Everything is like worse. 50 that's years worse. old. That's you real are old. An, You are an old guy. You are certifiably old. 
But so you say kumbaya, that's kind of okay because they all know what that is. So. No, nobody knows what kumbaya is. <laughs> anyway. So, that's my point, is I think if we're going to start doing uh, a change of, as a will, there's nothing wrong with the standard. I have no problem with that. The question is then, okay, what is that doing to me? There's and what nothing am I wrong doing with, with the it? standard. Well, I'm going to disagree maybe. with that. That that really is a second podcast. I think there is something wrong with the standard, and I and and being able to address what that is, not only within the church but within society as a whole. That what we do is we come up with standards that really are an expression of ourself. Yeah. And the leaders that formulate that will select certain kinds of issues and and uh, definitions that are a reflection of themselves. And then to say, if you're going to be in our organization, you must be like me. Right. That's really the, and that's the problem with the standard. Anyway, when I think the issue, if, if you have to sum, I'll sum it up with an, an image. Okay, go for it. If you're having breakfast and you have pancakes, You'll get three pancakes, and now you have on the table a number of different toppings. You have some fruit, you have whipped cream, you have butter, and you have syrup. What is the order in which you stack those on the foundation of the pancakes? Does the fruit go next or the butter? Does the syrup go directly on the pancakes and then the whipped cream on top and the fruit on eventually you have to pick one thing to be at the top in dealing with these issues the value of the person or the value of the standard is going to rise to the top and i think what jesus did is he said within the context of conservative judaism and the emerging new church the stack has the individual, the value of the individual on top. If I have to make a decision as to how I act, what I say, what I do next, the way it affects the individual I'm talking to right. is going to be how I make my decision. Right. So Jesus took the value of the individual and had that be the very top value that he held. Now, we can debate whether that was right or not. If the church does that, do we then fall apart? Does that apply to our public school system? Does it apply to uh, what happens in the mall or on the street or in marches or at parties, concerts? When you go someplace and there's gay pride stuff or there's uh, uh, individuals who are who are engaged in sexuality that that you regard as offensive or breaking a standard. And then let's add one more to this. Let's go right to the very top of the big, huge mountain we haven't even talked about. What about child pornography? The right. issue of child sex trafficking. Right. Is sex between people who aren't married to each other permissible between an adult who's 40 and an adult who's 25 permissible but between an adult who's 25 and a person who's five, same break, same difference, totally unacceptable. So, 
So there, the issue is not simplistic. We know it's not simplistic. But in developing standards, either the standard becomes the top value or the individual becomes the top value. And how to reconcile those two, that becomes the point of stress. And that's our next podcast. Okay. And we're going to come back to that. And we're going to talk about how do you develop that understanding the difference between those two and where does that go? Now, one additional tool that we want to communicate clearly, you see Mike and I talking about an issue and we're on a podcast and you're just listening to us on your computer or your phone or whatever. And it seems like this is really easy to do. We have a good relationship where we feel like we can interrupt each other, that we can talk over each other, that we can actually correct in some of your families or situations you can't do that easily. Right. It is a skill that we learned it and you can learn it. It really right. has to do with setting the agenda that I'm trying to advance as lower than my friendship with Mike. Right. And so instead of saying I must win with my agenda, I want to hear what he says. He wants to hear what I say. And even if we disagree, we say it's all right. The stress, the tension is still okay because what rises above it is the value of the person. That's exactly. what we're talking about. That's exactly what we're talking about. So with that, we'll come back to this, our next podcast. I'm actually kind of excited to do this. Wow. Who would have thought? Sex in the church. Huh. Huda. And the church. Huda is a friend church. of mine and who'd have thought? <laughs> okay. So get a hold of us at... Mike at grippingreality.com. You can send an email, Mike and with a Y or Mike with an I. We both get it. We'll read an uh, email to each other, that kind of thing. But if you have a question, an issue, a stake in this, uh, we invite you to write us a note. All right. Thanks for listening. Appreciate it. Bye-bye.